that that alarm going off means it's time to worship. No, <laughs> no uh, thank you for coming this morning. Uh, we're so happy to have everyone here. Um, we uh, had a really great time of prayer before for this, and God really just shared a really great, great picture. Um, it was runners running a race, and, you know, just like in real life, you know, we don't all run in the same straight line. We're, we're, we're running at different uh, paces and whatnot, and I saw a picture of one of the runners just, just kind of lagging behind with a limp, and some of the runners in the front came back and just kind of came alongside him and just kind of helped him get over that that little hump, whether it was just a little hill, just to where he could run at his own pace again. And, and I think that's just a picture of of why we come together, why we are here as a family. Uh, we're, we're meant to come alongside one another and just encourage one another and just build each other up. And uh, I, I really think God this, this morning is wanting to remind us of that. I have some scriptures I'm going to share. This is out of Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Later on, 6, verse 7. Therefore, since it still remains for some of you to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, talking about the children of Israel, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is a day where grace is renewed each and every day for us. doesn't matter what your circumstances are. doesn't matter what you're struggling with. Each day, God just pours out his grace on us to, to be able to just start fresh. And then later in uh, Hebrews, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for we, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Please stand with me. Heavenly Father, we... We just come to you now and say thank you. Thank you for being a good father. Jesus, thank you for being that high priest on our behalf who knows our struggles, who knows our pain. We thank you that you just pour out your grace on us each and every day. No matter what, no matter what happens, the constant thing that remains true is your grace us each and every day, regardless of circumstances, regardless of, of our actions, how we act, your grace is still there for us, even when we mess up. We just want to come to you now, worshiping you, come together as brothers and sisters to encourage one another in love and good deeds.
Father God, we just want to glorify you now. Holy Spirit, we say yes to what you have for this morning. We love you and we thank you.
we're in a playground and there are teams and some of us have an experience where we weren't the first picked on the team and we weren't the second picked on the team because of our qualifications or someone's opinion or our own opinion and God says maybe in the past you were the last picked on the team but this is a new day you are my first pick you are my pick and I am recklessly in love with you it doesn't make sense to you sometimes but it doesn't matter because it's a fact I told someone today you're my favorite Mackenzie and I know a lot of Mackenzie's you're my favorite Mackenzie and I think that's what the Lord says you are my first pick if it had been just you, I would have gone through everything for you. So this is an action step. Do we, do we together say, my past does not dictate my present or my future? Maybe we were the last picked. And maybe we put ourselves in that position and say, that's the way it's been and that's the way it's always going to be. That is not your present, and it is not your future unless you choose. And we do not choose that. We choose to be his first pick. We are his first pick. But it's an action step. And his reckless love says, I've already set the path. You just get to walk in it walk in it together. So when your brain says, well, that's the way it's always been, we'll say, hold up. That is not his plan and his future for me. He doesn't see me that way. So why do I continue to? We get to say, that's not what my father says. My heavenly father set the bar. So I'm going to live to that. I'm going to live in that truth. So it's an action step for us today. reckless love for me today. Sounds like a lot of freedom. I choose. Do we choose together? Because sometimes we need that reminder. Hey, Diane, you're his favorite. Walk in it. The past does not dictate the present or the future. What he did dictates everything that we have available.
identity is in Christ and what he did for us on the cross he took those stripes so we can walk in wholeness here on this earth we do not have to walk in sickness, fear, shame guilt and so as we're here just open up our hearts to receive what he has done for us, all we do is just believe in what he did for us on that cross, that's all it takes nothing we do and we all have a new identity in Him, and we can walk whole on this earth.
you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you that you first loved us. And thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin, for everyone's sin. Even if it was just one, you would have said yes. Thank you for the the gift of a new identity in you. That we don't have to say yes to, to pain and suffering. That we get to say yes to wholeness, to a life full in you. you, God. We love you. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, guys. Oh, well, thank you again for, for joining us this morning in worship. Uh, and we just, uh, we love, we love worship in this house. Um, yeah, if you're new with us here this morning, we just want to uh, say welcome. We're, we're glad to have you. Uh, if you have any questions uh, about us uh, as a body, who we are as a church, you can go to our website, uh, dothancf.com. It uh, really gives a, a, you a good rundown about us. There's also you know, messages from the past you can listen to if that interests you. Um, there's a uh, I'm New tab that you can you know, uh, click on and just kind of give us your information. If you want to receive more information from us, we're not going to bombard you with any kind of uh, emails. Uh, just, uh, there's always the unsubscribe button as well if we get to be too much. Um, but yeah, no, the, the website has a lot of information about, you know, stuff that's going on with the church. We have a lot of things coming on, uh, this summer. You can go and, and look and see what those are. One of the things that we have going on actually this afternoon starting is our, uh, summer blast off. And it's going to be at the Northfield, uh, pool club this afternoon. Immediately after service, you can get your family stuff together, head on down there, um, there's not going to be any food or anything, so I highly recommend just bringing everything you need for your, your family for a pool day. Uh, so that's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. Um, we have some testimonies this morning. Uh, <laughs> Sawyers are, are going to come share about something amazing that, that God has done and uh, something that he can do for you as well. So most of y'all have heard us talk about paying our house off. Um, to backtrack just a little bit, last fall we were ready um, to pay the house off. We took out a loan 20 years ago when we built the house with USDA, and we had forgotten that we owed subsidy. When we first moved in, they lowered our payments for a couple of years. Um, so that kind of put a little kink in paying it off last fall. Um, so in order to pay off the subsidy and the principal, we had to have the house appraised, fill out paperwork, and they would then quote us what we owe on subsidy. We took care of that a couple of weeks ago. We heard back Monday on Travis's birthday. Um, the final payoff amount, and because we were willing to pay subsidy along with the principal, they knocked off 25%. So we mailed the check on Tuesday, and we are officially debt free. <laughs> amen, amen. If you, if you have any uh, money issues, I, I strongly 
say go to them and just they can tell you how they they got to where they were and the the good thing that God does for for anyone in this house he can also do for you I'm also going to I'm going to quickly do another quick testimony. I'm not going to ask them to come up, but Pat and Lawrence, we can uh, rejoice with them because they came back from Birmingham with another clear PET scan. (laughs) Amen. Amen. For those of you who are new, if you're not met Pat and Lawrence, you need to have some Pat and Lawrence in your life. I promise you. Um, They they are just a blessing to to know. Um, Yeah. If uh, if you want to give this morning... um, we, you can do that through our website online. It, it's really easy. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. If you if you kind of shy away from you know you know tithe online, we we do have this box up here. You can just throw a check in, the one loan check writer, <laughs> the two loan check writers, three. Oh my gosh, I'm we're being overwhelmed. All right, <laughs> uh, but we just we just thank everyone for their generosity because through that generosity we're able to just do some amazing things and bless uh, people in our bodies and also outside of our body as well. Um, this morning we want to dismiss our, our kids. Uh, they want to go through the back with, with Miss Gay Lynn and youth. You'll be coming with me as we uh, transition into our message with Dave this morning. All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Wave at me if you're still awake. <laughs> After those testimonies, I imagine you would be. We, uh, we'll probably take a minute to adjust the sound because I don't know if anybody was here last week. My wife was preaching, and we have to turn the, the system down really low. And my wife, I'm just don't tell her I said that. <laughs> I know I'm in trouble already. <laughs> you got, every one of you guys are going to tell her. That's what I. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. All right. So I want to start a new series uh, this morning called "Empowered Life in the Spirit." What does it mean to live in the Spirit? Um, couple, probably a couple months ago, I preached a series called Wisdom and Power. And some of you guys know, I shared this when I taught the series, that um, I waited um, 13 years to preach that message in this church. And every time I would get ready, I was like, man, that's a life message. That's something that God's called me to, to talk about, to build into, you know, to big picture ministry. That's something that has always been kind of my life story. How do we bring the wisdom of God and the power of God back into the same church? Um, as you know, I talked about how um, the enemy, one of the plans of the enemy over time, especially in the modern church, was to separate the wisdom of God from the power of God. And if you notice, like in mainline denominations, especially uh, in the modern church, especially Western church, You'll have a group or a camp of people who, who lean into the wisdom of God, the word of God, you know, character, um, all those things, and they're just really strong personally, individually, strong in the word of God, all those things, but, but you don't see much power coming out of their life in terms of reaching you know, signs and wonders and all those type of things. And then you have a whole other camp, Pentecostals and Charismatics, who lean into the power of God, and you see awesome, incredible miracles, signs and wonders, testimonies of God doing great things. But sometimes it's been, uh, it comes along with kind of this, uh, this immaturity or, you know, this misuse, this abuse sometimes of the, of, of the power of God, um, because sometimes the character of the person is waning. So you've got wisdom with tons of character, no power. And if you're not careful, you've got power with tons of power and no wisdom, right? And so imagine if you were the enemy, what would you do to take away the power of God? Because you can't stop it, right? He said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against this church. So what would you do? And the answer was, if you can separate the two and keep them from talking to each other, 
Wouldn't that be a, a, a good strategy to keep God from changing the world? So the truth is, he's going to do it regardless. And there, there are people who are leaning into both the wisdom and the character of God. And so one of the things I discovered in my walk with the Lord is even in Pentecostal and charismatic circles sometimes, I mean, obviously it's a challenge sometimes in the, in the places where they, they say, hey, the Holy Spirit was great. The ministry of the Holy Spirit was great for establishing the church. But once the church was established, we really don't need those things anymore. So God's doing it a different way. And, uh, and I would beg to differ. Uh, I think if you just go back to Scripture and read it, and also if you go back to the Scriptures, the proof Scriptures that are used to prove that, they, they just don't hold the weight. And so they just they, they come down really, really fast. So this series, Empowered, the Life and the Spirit, is just, first of all, an observation that many, many people do not value the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Like, you, you, hear, you hear people talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You hear people talk about the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, though, you'll hear use phrases like, you know, the Holy Spirit is kind of like, um, it's kind of like the force in Star Wars, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's like he's, you talk about it, you know, it's it, the, you know, the Holy Spirit. So if you're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, the power is a subject, so it works. But often people don't do that. They just talk about the Holy Spirit in general as an it. And so he's kind of like this, you know, translucent thing that floats around in the ether, and we really don't know a lot about him. Um, you know, he's kind of like our, our crazy Uncle Larry. We keep him in the basement and only let him out every once in a while, right? <laughs> and that's even in Pentecostal charismatic churches, unfortunately, sometimes. Or we try to control him. You know, we try to, it's like, you know, God, you're only allowed to do certain things. We want some of these gifts, but we don't, any of these, we don't want any of these other gifts. And so, so there's a challenge. Mostly, though, this comes not, not through a, a bad heart, but it really comes through a lot of ignorance. It's like we've just not really talked about the things of the Spirit in, in helpful ways. We'll, we'll say things and just expect everybody to understand. And in truth, oftentimes the people who are preaching it and teach it, teaching it don't understand and maybe aren't even doing it themselves. Right, so so we're going to get into this, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about a lot of things, like um, the mechanics, if you will, of how the the ministry of the Holy Spirit is working in us, who He is, how He works, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how to live in the Spirit. You know, the the, the difference between the flesh and the Spirit. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of things, but let me start the, the the series off with this controversial statement that Jesus made. He made a lot of controversial statements, obviously. But this one's interesting. This is John 16, verses 6 and 7. This is a New American Standard Bible. It says, but because I've said these things to you. So Jesus had just mentioned that he's about to go away. And so the disciples have been with him for three, three years or more. And now he's talking about leaving and they're confused a little bit. So he says, but because I've said these things to you, sorrows filled your heart. Like I'm going to go away, he said. And because of that, now you're, you know, I'm gonna leave, he, you think I'm going to leave you fatherless or leave you as orphans, and we know that he's not going to do that. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. One version says um, it, it is expedient that I go away. And he says, and here's why. For if I don't go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, it's another name for the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So a couple things about this verse. One, he starts off with, but I tell you the truth. Anytime Jesus starts a phrase or, or, or a sentence with, I tell you the truth, it's probably because you're not going to believe him. Right? So he's saying, I want to emphasize this, that I'm not making this up. This is not, you know, I'm not preaching language. I really mean what I'm about to say next. I'm telling you the truth. Unless I go away, the helper won't come. Because until I go away, because I'm, I'm going to be the one who sends him to you. Right? And so it's a powerful truth. And he said it this way. He said, it's actually to your advantage. This is what expedient means. It is to your advantage 
that I go away. So I just want to kind of position something for you guys. If you had two doors in front of you, and one of them said Jesus in his physical form, and the second was second one was the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which one would you walk through? <laughs> right? For most of us, if we're honest, we would go, you know what? To be in the presence of Jesus in his physical form, to have been one of the, the disciples, right, who watched Jesus do signs and wonders, who, who saw him heal the sick, who walked up to lepers, and the law was saying, if you touch a leper, you, you become unclean. And Jesus said, if I touch a leper, the cleanness in me will jump on them. It's not coming the other direction, right? You saw the forgiveness where a, a woman caught in the act of adultery, brought naked before him, thrown down in shame in front of him. And he speaks to not just the challenge of her brokenness and her sin, but all of the sin, and especially the secret sin of all the people around him who were judging him. You watch Jesus do this. You watch Jesus yell out to a man named Nicodemus and say, hey, I want to come and eat with you today. And, and everybody's like, when did he meet Nicodemus? How does he know Nicodemus? Right? So Jesus is, is talking to people and using their names, and he's never met them. And then he, he goes and he raises some guy from the dead, his friend Lazarus, right? Surely he stinketh by now, my favorite King James scripture I've ever memorized, right? Surely he stinketh by now, Lord, right? And he raises him from the dead. He hops out of the, out of the grave. He's got grave clothes all wrapped around him, and he said, loose that man and let him go, right? And then, and then you see the Pharisees wanting to kill him again. I'm like, I don't know if you know this, but if you killed Lazarus, Jesus has the ability to bring him back every single time. So good luck with this, right? I mean, you, this, was the, this was the physical ministry of Jesus, feeding 5,000, taking a few fishes and loaves, and, and, and said, you feed them. He says to the disciples, and this is a clue to where we're going with this whole thing, he says, you feed them. They're like, Lord, we'll go and do this in the natural. We'll go to McDonald's and get a bunch of Happy Meals and bring them back, right? It's thousands of Happy Meals. And he's like, no, no, you feed them. And they're all like, how in the whole world are we going to feed them? And Jesus is like, that is literally the point of why I'm discipling you, because you don't know how to do that, right? So this is a beautiful picture, but it's controversial, because most of us would say, man, I love the physical ministry of Jesus, and I watch him on the earth, and how amazing it would have been with him to be with him in the, you know, on the Sea of Galilee, to, to be in that boat when he comes walking on the water, right? And, and Peter sees him and says, Lord, if that's you, bid me come out there with you. And he, he said, yeah, come on. I mean, just could you imagine the, I mean, the, the, I mean, their brains were getting blown every single day, right? In confusion, because he would say things, and they're like, what does that mean? That, I don't know what that means. And then he would take them back, and around the fireplace, he would explain to them the parables and some of the things he was saying, and he was walking with them. Could you imagine that? And yet, listen to what Jesus said again. I mean, think about this phrase. It's, it's amazing. He says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away why? Because what's going to happen next is better than me being here. Now think about that. Because we, I think most of us, we don't, we don't appreciate the value of the ministry of the Holy Spirit the way Jesus said we should appreciate the value of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it's a highly controversial statement, and it's a challenge, just a reminder to us that, that we have a tremendous need for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So what we don't want to is we don't want to devalue what Jesus did in the earth. Of course, that was discipling. He taught us how to disciple. He goes to the cross. He's the only one who could do that on our behalf. We get all that stuff. But if you could choose to have Jesus with you right now, would you? Would you love if he came th walking through that door right now and said, hey, everybody, I'm here. Just get in line. Let's get this thing done, right? 
Everybody's like, I'm going to get healed. I'm going to get you know, saved. I'm going to, whoo, this is going to be amazing, right? Maybe a few of us are going to like, I'm going to kill him and put him on a cross because that was what was happening in the crowds, right? Like all this is going on. But could you imagine if he was here with us? And that's the picture Jesus was painting. He goes, I'm saying I'm going to go away and every one of you guys are sorrowful because you think that's a bad thing. He says, but I'm telling you the truth. This is going to be the best thing you've ever experienced in your life. You think these last three years have been good? You just wait. It's about to get crazy, right? So he goes into this, and then he begins to model this. But again, I just want to emphasize, Jesus was God. We know this. Uh, if you've read your Bible at all, you know it. I'm just going to read you a couple of scriptures. This is John 1.3. It says, through him, this is talking about Jesus, all things were made without him, without Jesus. Listen, nothing was made that has been made. Nothing. So God, he is the creator God. Jesus is God. And some of you guys, I know you're still struggling with the Trinity. Personally, I've got that whole thing figured out. If you, you want to have coffee, I'm just, I'll explain. I'm just kidding. I don't either. <laughs> right? <laughs> I say this all the time. You, you may not be able to completely comprehend God, but you can apprehend him. Right? You can come close to him. You can recognize who he is in his nature and his char- character. And so Jesus is, is creator God, but he chose to be limited in his physical body. Right? So, so there's a passage in Philippians 2 6 that's really interesting. He says, talking about Jesus again, says, Who being in very nature God. In other words, he's, this is not, he's not the Son of God in some ways that cults look at it and go, He's begotten of God because you know, He's not God in essence or in nature, but He's the Son of God. This is what some cults say. But He says, No, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage or to be grasped, another version says. He says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So listen to that. This, this is a, a, a pivotal theological truth in all of Christianity. It's called the hypostatic union, if you study it, right? And what it means is God was both all God and all human at the same time. And it is a mystery. There's parts of it that we cannot understand because, again, it, it's above our pay grade, for lack of a better term, right? But he said he was, he was very nature God, but made in human likeness. He humbled himself. In other words, he came low, and he humbled himself. And listen to this. And being found in appearance as a man. He wasn't just like a man, but he was a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus didn't use, and this is kind of what I want to go after with this series, Jesus did not use his divine nature to do miracles and signs and wonders in the earth. And see, we always think of that. We always think, you know, Jesus was saying, and even made the, the, the statement, so that you might know that the Son of God has power on earth to forgive sins. He turns around and he heals some boy. So he demonstrates his power, right? And, and, and in that instance, he was saying, this, this is the God part of me being able to forgive sin, right? He's saying, I'm, I'm not just a man like some of you guys are, are talking about or thinking about. I am God. Myself and the Father, we are one. Another passage says there's so many scriptures where Jesus declares he is God, right? But he's also a man. And so in this hypostatic union, the challenge then is if we, aren't, if we don't pay attention to this in scripture and how he, how he designed us to walk in our life, then what we do is we kind of come under this understanding that, well, Jesus did signs and wonders and miracles, and therefore, you know, but he's God. Come on, right? Like, he's God. So, of course, he did signs and wonders and miracles because he's God, right? And then he makes statements like, but you're going to do the same things I did, only greater. 
Then, then you go and you read the New Testament, you read the book of Acts, and you see the same miracles that Jesus w- w- was doing. The apostles and the disciples, some of them even unnamed, began to do the same things that Jesus did. So, so at some point, you can't mistake, okay, at some point, whatever was going on with Jesus, there's something special about Jesus that, that, that I can never be like in the sense that he was the only one who was born without sin, who never sinned who is perfect in every way because he became the sacrifice for sin on my behalf. So I cannot be that, right? But there are tons of things about who he was and what he did that I can walk in those things if I believe it. And see, that's the challenge. Is like so much of ignorance is I don't know. But thank God ignorance can be fixed. Stupid, hard to fix, right? But ignorance can be fixed, Because all it is is coming into a new understanding of it. So here's the thing. Jesus' body was not sinful. But what he was saying in that passage in in Philippians is he's saying, but it was limited. He limited, he chose to limit himself. And he did it for a whole lot of reasons. But one primarily is this, that Christ performed his miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit, not by his own divine power. And so I want to talk about some of what that looks like. But I want to just show you this in, in the sense that when Jesus makes this statement, he's saying, he's saying, the things that I'm doing, you're going to do in greater things also, right? Matthew 28, 20 talks about how he's not going to leave us as orphans. He's not going to leave us alone. You see this, this, this picture? He's saying, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to be here with you at the same time. Well, what does that look like? This is Matthew 28, 20. He says, in teaching them to obey, this is the last command of Jesus, right, to go and make disciples. He says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So he's saying, in some form or fashion, even though I'm not here in a physical body, I'm going to be with you. Because we know, as he talks about in other places, because I'm going to be in you. Romans 8, 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. So now here's another picture. Here's the spirit of Jesus. The Bible says, the, listen to the phrase. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. So who raised Jesus from the dead? The Bible speaks to God the Father, right? Again, going back into that trinity. I know it can be a little bit challenging. But God the Father, he said, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Why? Because of his spirit who lives in you. So he's saying there's something that's going to happen. And Jesus is talking about this. We're going to get into this more and more. Jesus is saying there's something that's going to happen when I leave. It's so good. It's expedient. It's to your advantage that I go away because whatever happens next, what's coming next, and you read about it in the book of Acts and in the letters of, of, of the epistles. He's saying this thing that's coming next is going to blow your mind. You, you just, can you imagine? Like, are you saying that this, there's no way, Jesus, this is going to be better. He's like, I almost said hold my beer, but I don't think they had beer back then, so I don't know, hold my wine. Maybe that's what Jesus said, right? Some of you guys are like, I can't handle this. This is too much. All right, so he goes on. Uh, John 3, born of water in the Spirit. So he's talking to Nicodemus, and, he's saying, and Nicodemus is saying, I don't understand how all these things are, are going to happen, Jesus. And Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Because he was saying, how can you be born of the Spirit? I don't understand. And so Jesus goes after this, and he talks about born of the water and born of the Spirit. And so there's a lot of debate about whether that meant born of, the, of water, meaning a natural birth, because, it, you know, the breaking of the water. That was a common understanding. So was it about that? Or was he talking about baptism, born of water and the Spirit? In other words, when you give your life to Christ, this born-again experience is symbolized by by dying, going down in the water, and being raised from the dead just like he was. A lot of debate about that. 
but the important thing to understand is Jesus then tells him a story. He says, Lord, how can, this things, how can these things be? I don't understand. And Jesus gives him an analogy that we use all the time. How do you know the Spirit of God is moving, right? How do you know that the Spirit of God is among us? What it looks like something is what Jesus is saying. He says, can you see the wind? And Nicodemus is like, nope, can't see the wind. But you know the wind was here, how? Because of the effects of an unseen power. See how that works? So Jesus is saying the Spirit of God inside of you is going to be just like the Spirit of God who is moving inside of me. He's an unseen power, and he works a certain way, right? So the day of Pentecost... Now, Jesus is saying again, it's, this is going to be to your advantage. And one reason why, the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up and he preaches, right? The Bible says thousands of people were saved. Um, 3,000 um, men were saved in the Scripture. Because of the way Scripture would speak to you know, that, that culture, often it was just the men that were listed, which meant it could be upwards of 10,000 people who got saved on the day of Pentecost. Later on, it says another several thousand and another several thousand. So by the time you get to the front side of the book of, book of Acts, 15, 20, 30,000 people now have been born again in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. Not counting the churches that began to move forward and, and thousands upon thousands. They, they think, uh, some of the scholars believe that the church of Ephesus was 50,000 people strong. So this is the early church. It was growing, not just growing, being added to, but being multiplied. Jesus, It was ex exponential. Something was happening. Why? And this is one of the testimonies of why. Because when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit began to work through them, right? Work through the disciples. Now Jesus was no longer in one physical place at one physical time. He was wherever there was a believer walking in his power. Now imagine that, right? So we come here and we call this church. It is not church. This is where the church meets on a Sunday morning. You are the church. The spirit of the living God lives inside of you if you're a believer. And the design for that was you are going to take him everywhere you go and ought to go in power. And that's some of the things we're going to get into. So he wants to work through us. He's in us, but he wants to work through us as well. So the challenge that we have in the modern church is found in Romans 8 and 5 and 9. So this is a little bit lengthy, but if you'll bear with me, it's really helpful to build these foundations. So verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. So, so that word means, uh, he's going to get to it in just a second, but carnally minded, meat minded. <laughs> in other words, just your physical body here. So it's the same, it's the same pretext we get when we forget that God brought his spirit, that Jesus was going to pour out his spirit on us so that we could live in his spirit all over the place, right? Uh, rather than just be in one physical body. He goes on, he says, so those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance or in submission to, right, with the Spirit, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. In other words, when, when, when God comes to live inside of you, right, you, there, you have to make a decision about who's going to be the Lord of your life now. Because the, the whole idea behind Genesis, imagine this, the, the devil comes in, in the form of a snake. He says to these guys, he said, you know, has God really said He's like, you know what? You could have the very same things that God has, right? Which is the promise. It was the promise that God was giving them anyway. They were just going to do it in their own strength. This, was, this is what the enemy tries to get you to do and me to do, is to do things in our own strength. So, so this picture of they, they were going to do in the flesh what God could only do through the Spirit, right? He goes on. He says, the mind governed by the flesh 
Governed is, is another word of being limited to the flesh, right? So like if you put a governor on a vehicle, it limits the speed to it. So he says, um, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So let me just take for a second right here. Do you ever wonder why you're not living in peace? You ever wonder why circumstances throw you off so quickly? When you get a, when you get a, 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 you know, you go to the doctor and the doctor says something to you and your mind goes, oh no, oh that's terrible, oh, I'm gonna die. Oh, you know, you get these things that happen to you that immediately take away your peace. You hear, you hear a story, you hear a testimony, you watch the news, some circumstance, something happens in this world, in this natural world, and it throws you off and you lose your peace. You ever wonder why that is? The Bible says if you're governed by the flesh, then, then you're not going to live in peace. You cannot do it. You can't live in peace because this world is going to go all over the place, up and down all over the place. But if you're governed by the Spirit, he says, he says you're, going to, you're going to have peace. You're going to have life and peace. And then listen, verse 7. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. So, so again, he's talking to Christians. He's saying, hey, listen, guys, if you don't turn this around and begin to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, begin to learn how to live in the Spirit, if you don't do that, what you're going to do is you're going to find yourself living in, in uh, and, and you're going to be antagonizing God. In other, in other words, you're going to be living against the, the desires and the direction that God is trying to take us. Why? Because it's selfish. It's all about me. Right, And so we're going to get into more, more and more of that. But he goes on. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. In other words, the mind, your mind in of itself cannot do certain things. And he's going to get into that a little bit later. Then he says this, verse 8. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Why? Because you're trying to please yourself. That's the end matter, right? It's what sin and selfishness is all about. Verse 9, you, however, remember he's talking to believers. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit if something has occurred. Right? If, indeed, the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So I, this has been a discovery in 30-something years of ministry. Um, and I know it's deeply theological, so I'm going to try to explain it in simple terms. Everything that quacks is not a duck. So I want to go deeper. <laughs> That's probably deep enough, right? So in other words, just because you attend church doesn't make you a Christian any more than if you go through McDonald's drive-thru makes you a hamburger. You understand? It's not about placement. It's about something you have decided to believe. It, belief is not, it's not passive. Belief is an aggressive verb. It's choosing something over something else. That's why unbelief is the worst sin in Scripture. Not because it's people who don't believe. That's not what it says. Unbelief is not don't believe. Unbelief is choosing not to believe something. Right? With enough evidence that it's possible to believe it. So this is the challenge. He said, if you are in Christ, you have his spirit inside of you. Now here's the challenge. He talks about this in a minute. But if you are carnally minded... If you're flesh-minded, you can ignore the, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You can turn that away. You have a choice when something comes to try to steal your peace away. You can make a decision. Am I going to try to understand this and try to approach this and try to do something about this in the natural? And let me just say this. If you're a high-capacity person, that comes easy to you, right? 
And most of, most of us are high-capacity people. So those things come easy to us to go after it in the natural. I'll come up with a better idea. You know, who was it? Ben Franklin said, you, you, you create a list on this side of the pros, you have a list of this on this side of the cons, and whichever list is longer, that's how you make decisions. And I'm like, I like, my brain goes, I like that. Except for God doesn't work that way, <laughs> right? So if you want to be carnally minded, that kind of thinking is going to end up in a place of no peace and no life. And you're going to wonder, I'm a Christian, why am, I, why am I no different than the world? And that's the challenge that we have, right? So how do we stop being carnally minded? How do we stop doing that? So he goes through a couple of things. He says, first of all, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. In other words, live in agreement with the things of the Spirit. So what are the things of the Spirit? Really good question, isn't it? <laughs> like, are you going to tell us? No, I'm going to go make you read your own Bible. Of course I'm going to tell us. But it's going to be over a series, right? But the big part of it is not even just the things about it. It's the mechanics of how we do it. So he goes on, and he talks about submission to, let your, let, let your mind be governed by the Spirit or led or, or, or uh, limited by the things of the Spirit. So if I hear a lie, and I've not, I've not come to know who God is and his nature and his kindness and his goodness and how he operates and how he works in the spirit. When I hear a lie, it will sound like the truth. So, well, the enemy's good at it. He gives a half-truth. He does this. Did, it, did the Lord really say? And your answer should be, yes, the Lord really said, Right? You take this great picture of Jesus going out. The Bible says he, he, was, he, he goes to the, to the river He's baptized. Remember what Scripture says? The Spirit ascends on, or descends on him like a dove, right? It's a picture, a painting of who the Holy Spirit's like and stays with him. It's like, well, did Jesus not have the Spirit before this? Of course he did. The picture that they were getting was this is now what the life. He's not getting baptized for remission of his sins. He didn't have any sin. He was getting baptized as an example to you and I as believers. This is what this life looks like, right? I'm going to go to the cross and, and, and go down into the grave. And in three days, I'm going to be resurrected again. And he painted a picture from the Old Testament. He says, it's like that guy. Remember that guy who got swallowed by the fish? Remember him? He's like, he was gone for three days, and then he's alive again, and he's preaching the gospel to the people that he was sent to preach the gospel to in the first place, and he said no. Right? There's so much. There's so much in that. But Jesus is saying, this is a picture of what's happened. This is going to happen to you. If you identify with my death, and you identify with my life, if you believe the truth about who I am and what I came to do, then something's going to happen inside of you, and you are going to be born again in, by the water and the Spirit. So whether that's coming from a natural birth into a spiritual birth, or both of those saying this is a spiritual birth because it's symbolized by being taken down in the water and coming alive again, whichever way you want to go with that, doesn't matter. The picture is something is supposed to happen and you're supposed to begin to think and live differently. Remember scripture says one of the big things that we talk about at our church is being transformed. If you say, what, what is DCF like? What, is, what are we about? We are all about transformation. But not coming into your life and going, thou shalt not, and let's go down to the list of all the things you're doing wrong and you should quit. The way we do that is we disciple. We go back, we disciple towards your identity, not towards your behavior. And people freak out about that. It's like, well, if you keep doing that, people are going to sin like crazy. I'm like, people are sinning like crazy anyway. <laughs> right? Maybe there's, a, maybe there's a way that Scripture speaks to that says, if I speak to the identity of the person and say, no, you are born again. This is not, sin is not your nature. It's not what God's called, called you to do. Maybe that's what you did, but that is not who you are. 
Jesus says you are different. You are, have a new nature. You, everything is new, brand new. Everything is new. Is that true or isn't it? Right? And if we go after that, then there's something that's supposed to happen that I, I get a new life, I get a new identity, I get a new character, and I get a new nature, and then I get a new way of living. This new way of living Jesus talks about, especially in Hebrews. So then I become strong in spirit. What does it mean to be strong in spirit? That's going to be another thing we talked about. But remember this series I talked about, Wisdom and Power. This is John 14 and 12, because the tendency is, the tendency is when I say, hey, are you um, being conformed to the image of, of Jesus, to his dear son? And the answer is absolutely. Almost every time I say that to somebody, are you, what does it mean to be discipled? And, it, and people will say, it just means I, should be, I, should, I need to become like Jesus. And so I'll ask them, what does that mean? And I'm not kidding when I say this. 99.9 times out of 100, all they talk about is character. So it's the whole wisdom camp and all the teaching is wonderful. We should have the character of Jesus. We should be like him in character, right? But what else? We should be also like him in competencies. Are we, not are we just living like Jesus lived, are we thinking like Jesus thought, right? Are we being moral like Jesus was moral? <laughs> but the big question is, are you doing the things Jesus did? That's when people freak out. We, we had a conversation, uh, Alan, we, we had some friends and connected and had, some, had a conversation and we were talking about discipleship. It was really interesting. Uh, the pushback when I got into this was, are, are you saying that if I'm not walking in the competencies of, of Christ, I'm not a disciple? Uh, and, I, and I jokingly said, no, I'm just saying that you're half a disciple. <laughs> it did not go over well, right? <laughs> My humor sometimes is, is not, not the best timing, right? And, and the point was, I said, but, here, but understand this. If that's true, what an indictment against the church. If we're all just being morally like Jesus, well, that's wonderful. But let, I know lots of people who are morally like Jesus who are not born again at all. They have learned discipline. Now, maybe in the secret parts of their heart, of course they're not. But on the outside, they become clean, right? And, and, and I know that because Jesus was angry at a whole group of people for doing this very thing. That on the outward, he said, on the outside of you, you're beautiful. You're like, he said, you're like this, this cemetery, right? Outside, it's beautiful. It's landscaped. It's whitewashed tombs. It's just beautiful. It's so pleasant and peaceful to be around. But inside of you is death and decay and dead men's bones. What an indictment against the Pharisees, right? And the leaders of the church of that day. And so what Jesus, Jesus is getting at is, hey, when I said, I want you to be like me, I wasn't just talking about morally. That's wonderful, and you should do that. But that's only part of what God's called you to. So what does that look like? John 14, 12. Very truly I tell you, again, he's saying it again. Listen to this. I'm telling you the truth when I say this, right? Because you're probably not going to believe it. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So hear that phrase? Listen to it again. They will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. Remember what he said? Unless I go away, all this promise that's coming by, your, by, by his, my spirit doesn't come to you. So it's the same phrase. Listen to it. They will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Not just greater things in power. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to beat Jesus raising somebody from the dead or walking on water. Would you agree? Right? 
So, so maybe not in, in, in terms of, you know, the, the miracles that he did, you're going to do greater miracles, although we've heard some stories of great miracles that you don't even see in Scripture, right? We've heard testimonies over the years. You, you can read about those in church history. But the picture Jesus is making is, when I go to the Father, I'm sending little me's everywhere people have believed. So we, Karen and I were in, in Israel, and I've shared this story before. We were on the, sitting on the Sea of Galilee, and, and somebody's preaching, and they shared, and they pointed over to the shore where the Sermon on the Mount was most likely preached, and, and then also the last part of, of the, the Gospels, um, and, and then the, the early part of the book of Acts where Jesus says he's, he's died, he's been resurrected, and now he's meeting with the disciples for the last time, and he meets with Peter, and they're on the beach, and they're having fish, right? Remember the story? And, so, and, and then all of a sudden, Jesus leaves them, and he's gone. And this is the last place where the disciples met with Jesus personally, in his physical form, but it was actually in his glorified form. And then he says, and then the next thing that happens is they went into the nations. So 12 guys, right? 12 main disciples, 120 other believers on the day of Pentecost. And by this time, thousands and thousands of people now are born again and walking in the power of the Spirit. And from that little shore on that day, 2,000 years ago or a little bit more, you and I have become believers. More than half the population of the planet, that's 8 billion people. So four, over 4 billion people have become believers because of that little band of believers who are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but when I do, remember, this is, a, this is the, the picture Jesus was talking about in the early church in the book of Acts. He said they were first called Christians at this one church in Antioch. And, and you remember what that meant? Little Christ. That's what he meant. You are to be Jesus everywhere you go. Right? But if you don't think that way, you will limit yourself when God has not limited you. So let me read you Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Right? So he's been talking about what it means to be saved, what it means to, to be born again, all this stuff that we've been talking about. He says this salvation which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Listen, verse 4, God also testified to this great salvation by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed, distributed according to his will. That's, that's a picture back to 1 Corinthians 12 that the Holy Spirit would come. He would manifest himself. There's one spirit, one church, there's one body, right? But it's the same spirit who operates in all of us. And the Bible says in the manifestation, he gives severally as he wills. So what does that look like? Listen to it again. Um, testified to that gospel by signs, wonders, various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So the picture of, of this was how did the gospel go out? Was it just a big message, just a bunch of words? Or was it, like he said, listen to it again, God also testified to this gospel. In other words, he said, so that you would know, the same thing he said to the Pharisees, so that you would know that I have power on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the man, he says, take up your bed and walk, or stretch out your hand and I'll heal it, right? It was miracle after miracle. What he was doing was he was showing that he had power over everything, power over sickness, power over the demonic, right, and everywhere again, and finally power over death because he was raised from the dead. And he's painting a picture and he's saying, this gospel that I'm preaching is not just a gospel of words. It's a gospel of power. And this is the difference. If your gospel is just in words, then you can be convinced by other words. You understand? 
If this is just a well-thought-out philosophy, there are other philosophies that are just as well thought out. So Jesus is saying it's not just words. It is words, and it's truth, but it's demonstrated by something that comes that cannot possibly be from this world. See the picture? It's supposed to be different. Listen to this before it happens, though. Before he says this, God also testified by signs, wonders, and various miracles. Look at, listen to this, this passage before it. It says, this salvation was first announced by the Lord. So he comes and he says, this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to demonstrate it to you. I'm going to show it to you. But listen to this next phrase, because we all missed it when I read it. It was confirmed to us by those who heard him. See the picture. It wasn't just Jesus. Of course it was Jesus. He came and did it. He's going to demonstrate. I'm going to show you what this looks like. And then everyone who heard his gospel heard him say also, it's not just about hearing, it's also about doing. Right? So let me close with this scripture, because this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I remember when I discovered this, it changed everything about how I think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So let me set this up. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul's talking to the, to the church. They sent him letters asking him some questions. He's writing back. He's answering some of these questions, some questions about marriage, some questions about all kinds of different things, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He talks about in, in chapter 14 about what love really looks like. It has to be the foundation. If you're doing the gifts without love, you're doing them wrong. Change, right? He goes after that in a big way. But what, what he just come from, Athens. So in the story in the book of Acts, you see his travels, and you can track him on a map. And he comes from Athens, and the very next place he goes is Corinth. When he's leaving Athens, what happens is he, he's had this encounter where he preaches in the Areopagus. Um, I've shared this before. We studied this in Bible college. This was the greatest sermon ever preached besides the Sermon on the Mount, except it wasn't. Because he preaches this message, he gets to the end of it, and he mentions that Jesus will judge us because in, in the Bible, and he says, because Jesus was raised from the dead, now he is going to judge us. So he, he's talking about Jesus, he's talking about the beauty of the gospel. It's like Jesus in the, in, the, um, in, in the fifth chapter of Matthew when he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and everybody's like, I can get behind the Beatitudes, this is awesome, right? And then Jesus breaks in because somebody asked him about the law, he changes what he's talking about, and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, you won't even see the kingdom of God. And if your eye offends you, pluck it out, take it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. And people are like, who can even hear this stuff, right? Because Jesus is talking about the Beatitudes, they're like, we love the love parts, we just don't like the stuff where I've got to change, right? <laughs> and he's doing the same thing. Paul's talking to him, the same thing. He's like, I love the love parts. And he gets to the part where he says, Let, now let's talk about the supernatural. A man was dead, and then he was made alive again. Now, if you're a Greek, you have a box, and that ain't in your box. And every one of you guys are Greek. Our philosophy for 2,000 years has been founded on that box. And Jesus came along and said, there is no box. Right? The picture is, Jesus, he's saying, you can walk in limitations in the natural, and that's the flesh, that's carnally minded, or you can walk outside the, back, the, 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 the box that is supernatural, which the Bible speaks of. Super means above. It's above nature. It's not against it. It's another way of thinking and another way of living. So listen to this passage. So now he comes from that place. It says a few of them believed, but most of them left. And, a, and some of them said, we'll hear you again on this matter. And you don't see a large work in that city. 
He failed. In his own mind, you go back and read this and read his story. He, he doesn't, he's, not, he's not saying, man, I screwed this up. What he's saying when he comes into Corinth, he said, I was doing something in a way I thought was helpful, and I've learned something from that, that, that time in, Cor- in, um, in uh, uh, the Areopagus in Athens. And he said, and I changed what I was doing when I came to Corinth. Now listen, all that background, now listen to this, this statement. He said, so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, right? So now he's talking about he's left there and he's coming to you. He said, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. You know what he did in Areopagus? In the Areopagus? He came with uh, eloquence and human wisdom until he got to the supernatural and everything changed. Listen to what he said. He said, for I resolved, I determined in my own heart, I changed the way I was thinking before, to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm going to talk about who Jesus is, what he did, his, his discipleship for all the believers, and then what happened at the crucifixion and what that means to all of us. And he goes on. And when I came, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. Why? Because I could not do it in my own power and I know it. And then he goes on. Verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So as I close this morning, where does your faith rest? If you have been convinced with a beautiful Christian philosophy, you will be unconvinced with a more beautiful worldly philosophy. Why is it that our kids, when they come out of the church world and they go into the, the, um, the colleges and the universities in our, in our modern first, you know, first nation countries, why is it that when they do that, almost all of them lose their faith? Can I tell you why? With all my heart, I believe. Because their faith was never founded on the power of God. Their faith was carnally minded. They, they had a great philosophy, and then they, they started hearing other philosophies. Before you know it, they were convinced by these philosophies. If you have experienced the supernatural and the power of God as a believer, if you have experienced that, because the Bible says you can't even become a Christian unless you believe a man was raised from the dead. So you cannot even become a Christian unless you believe in the supernatural. But I believe with all my heart, one of the plans of the enemies was, of the enemy was if he could come into the church and say, hey, that was great for your salvation experience. Whole group of, of, of churches, mainline denominations, said the power and the supernatural of God was awesome for getting it started. But dear Lord, we don't need that now. We have wisdom and philosophy and cemeteries, I mean seminaries and Bible colleges, right? We, we've got... We, got, we can figure it out. But this is my discovery. My discovery is when, when it's hard, when you're up against that rock face, and Karen talked about this last week when she was sharing about our greatest ally is the Holy Spirit. Teed this, this whole series up. If you, if you don't understand that the wisdom and the power of God are supposed to be back together again, you will naturally live in the natural place because it is easy to do. One of the ways you'll find out very quickly about the things of the supernatural is when the first time you hear a message in tongues. I remember the first time I hear, heard a message in tongues because I was from Alabama and we didn't have a whole lot of people from other countries living in, <laughs> when I was growing up. I said, oh, that that's, must be Spanish because, you know, I'm ignorant. 
<laughs> and it didn't take me long, but I'm like, but whatever that was, I could feel something in it. And then from that moment on, I began to feel, when, I, when someone would give a message in tongues, I would feel something inside of those words that I could not explain, but there was power there. And the interpretation would come, and it would read my mail, and it would speak to my heart, and it would, you know, you hear testimonies of like, that was me, how could anybody know, right? Dave's been looking in my window or reading my mail. I hear that from you guys all the time. Karen hears it. Why? Because we're operating, trying more and more to operate more and more in the supernatural, in the things of the Spirit. So I want to challenge you. If, if this entices you, you all, don't let it beat you up. If you have been living carnally minded as a believer, it's okay. It can be fixed. <laughs> right? Because God, his intention was to go from that place into this place in a continual growth into it. And I don't know about you. I believe there's more because the God of, of Scripture is the God of more. Whatever you have experienced until now, God has more. We are struggling. We're praying with people who are struggling with sickness and, and disease. We're, we're praying with situations and circumstances in people's lives that seem insurmountable. And we look at all those things and say, I want to come up with a solution in the natural. Well, good luck with that because some other solution is, I mean, some other problem is going to come up. And before you know it, you are going to run up against the limitation of your own abilities. But in God, in his spirit, a word from the Lord changes everything. I remember, I remember when I got called into the ministry, I went, this, this is why this is important. Because you're, you're now your testimony, your faith is not in the word, it's not in men. It's in the power of God. I got called into the ministry. I went up to my room right before this happened. I went up into my room to pray alone. And I prayed so long, I fell asleep. I really did. I was, and then I was ashamed. I'm like, oh, that can't be God. You know, I got peaceful and restful and fell asleep while I was praying. That's probably the devil. Whatever. That's bad thinking. But I was praying, and I remember when I, when I, when I woke up, I said these words, and, and I can't remember when exactly. I just remember it was a short phrase, and the, the gist of it was, Lord, I don't want to do this if you're not in it. I don't want to go into ministry if I'm going to go into it with my own thinking, my own my own power, my own abilities. Lord, if this is going to happen, it's got to be you. So I'm asking you, Lord, will you confirm this to me in a supernatural way so that I'll never doubt for as long as I live that you've called me into the ministry? So I go to a meeting that next night, and there's this prophetic lady who is from Scotland. Um, they called her the dragon lady because she was intimidating and formidable as a woman, right? She was a wonderful lady, but powerfully gifted had a prophetic word, and she looked at me, and she said, you were in your prayer closet, and you said these words. And then she said to me, word for word, what I had prayed when nobody else was around. And she said, and God wants you to know, he's called you to the ministry, and now you know. And my hair stood up, and then the hairs on my hair stood up. I have never, never doubted God's call on my life. And this is one example. I'm going to give you thousands of examples. And believers in here who've walked in this can give you thousands of examples. What I'm saying is this. We have to move away from a carnally-minded gospel that is no gospel at all. And you and I, as believers, not, the, not priests and pastors and people who've gone to Bible college who are equipped. No, Jesus said, you want to be equipped? There's, it's simple. Give your life to Christ. Stop thinking carnally. Start thinking in the Spirit. We're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about being uh, baptized again. We're going to talk about that, that there's something that somehow this leaks. And if you're not 
finding yourself into the presence of God on a regular basis, you're going to move away and begin to go back to your old way of thinking, these patterns. God's saying it's time for new patterns, and here's what he's after. He's after you're sitting in the coffee house, and you're looking at somebody across the room, and he says, I want you to get up, and I want you to go tell them this. And you have to make a distinction in that moment. First of all, is that God? Because if it's not, I'm going to look like an idiot, right? But if it is, whatever happens next, that person and me, we're never going to be the same again. Never going to be the same again. I want you to stand with me. I want to pray for us. Again, my passion this morning may have come across as, as, as a bit more challenging sometimes than it should. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to put anybody in guilt, shame, and condemnation. Lord knows it's the last thing we want to do at our church. We want to preach grace, and we want to preach the gospel, and we want to preach the power of God. And I think the challenges God, God has given us is saying, hey, it's time to step up and be the church that he meant for us to be. So two things are going to happen when that occurs. One, it's going to transform you. You are not going to be different. You're going to walk in peace in ways you never believed. The Bible says peace that passes understanding. People are going to look at you're going through these circumstances. How could you have so much peace? And then now you get to tell them the gospel and get to share with them why you have a supernatural peace. And then and it's going to, it's going to do something in you. You are never going to be the same. You are going to be, you're going to be settled. You're going to be, you're going to be consolidated. I'm trying to think of words. You're going to be, you're going to be positioned in the Lord. You are going to be immovable. The enemy can't harm you anymore. He's going to come at you from a hundred different directions, and he's going to fail every time. And the second thing he's going to do, God wants to do, is he wants to move in you, and then he wants to move through you. You get the call of the Spirit to go, no longer am I carnally minded thinking about myself and natural things. Now I'm in, in submission to the Spirit of God whose heart is to go and rescue people. And so uh, the other day I was, we were eating, eating dinner, and the guy who waited on us, I'm going to go back and wait. I've been praying for this guy. And I heard the Lord say, he is deeply sad, deeply sad. And I'm like, Lord, what can I say? What can I do? And I could go with words, and I wanted to. I'm like, Lord, I'll go talk to him right now. And he's like, nope. And I've been waiting, and my, my sense is this. God's going to give me a picture, a word of knowledge. He's going to be a prophetic thing. Whatever it's going to look like, it's going to be something that when I share it with this guy, it's going to change his life forever. And when I do, I'm hoping that not only I give that testimony, but he does too. And I want to challenge you, begin to do the same thing. Begin to lean in and begin to say, Lord, I don't want to be carnally minded. I want to be spirit-minded. I want to lean into the things of the Spirit. Lord, begin to show me scriptures. Begin to open my heart. When I'm in worship, give me pictures. Give me words. When I look at somebody, give me something for them so I can go and minister to them. Lord, give me a peace that passes understanding. I want encounters with you, not just words and not just philosophies. And I'm telling you, if we'll do that, man, we're going to see this, this not just this city, this region and, and the nations of the earth are going to be changed and they're going to come through all of us. Amen? So let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you this morning, Lord, for challenge. Lord, thank you for calling us up to a higher place. Lord, it's not in our own strength. Lord, that's the beauty of it. I don't have to come up and do something in my own strength to try to get there, Lord. I just have to believe that you've made it available for me and receive it by faith. Lord, I walk by faith, not by sight. So I lean in and say, Lord, I want more. I want more of your power. I want more of your peace. Lord, I want more of your spirit working in me and working through me, Lord. Take my mind off all of the things that capture my imagination in this world, Lord, because this world is temporary. But God, begin to put my heart and my imagination and my thinking, Lord. Let it be settled in you. I want to set it towards you. I want to give it intentional time, Lord, to think towards the, the kingdom of God and towards your purposes and your plans, not just for my life, but those around me, Jesus. Lord, change me from the inside out, I pray. 
And it's in your name. Amen. If you need prayer this morning for anything, listen, this is something we want to pour out in you. So if you are saying, hey, I want more of God, come on, our team is going to be up here. We would love, we would love to pray for you. We'd love to minister to you. We would love to encourage you. So make your way toward the front. If our team will go ahead and make their way up here, make your way toward the front. And if not, we'll see you again next Sunday. So trust that the Lord is going to change us as we go. Amen? Amen.